Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back to the program again today. Thank you for joining us again as we continue our study of Ezra, Nehemiah, and the 12 gates of the city. We've been studying the book of Nehemiah, the book of Ezra, Haggai, Zechariah, who are all contemporaries during the time of restoration or the time of reformation. And what we've been showing you is that the restoration of this city and its 12 gates is synonymous with the 12 gates of the uh, uh, New Jerusalem in chapter 21 and chapters 20, 21, 22 throughout the book of Revelation. There are 12 gates there as well. Each one of these gates, as we've talked about their restoration, is some form of access into the new covenant community of faith, because I think we've established pretty well throughout this series that the Jerusalem that God is restoring is not a place, it is a people. I think we've established that pretty well throughout that, this series. By the way, if you've missed any of them, you can go back to our YouTube channel and watch them uh, on demand at your leisure, or you can listen to the audio portions of it on our podcast on iTunes or on an RSS feed for your Android device. And the easiest way to do that is to simply go to our website at lenhouse.com. And in the upper right-hand corner, there are direct links to those channels. And you can subscribe to them, and you will be notified every time we upload a new program. And they are free of charge to you. We do ask that you prayerfully consider, if you're following our ministry and feeding from it, that you sow back into it to help us to continue to do this and to share the gospel around the world. And what we're sharing with you has been, a, I think, a phenomenal series on what I call Roadmap to Reformation. And we have covered several of the gates of the city and how each one of them speak of some kind of access, whether it's the sheep gate where, uh, you know, uh, Jesus said, I am the door into the sheepfold, uh, whether it is the, uh, uh, the gate of, uh, you know, uh, several of the gates that we've already talked about, the horse gate we talked about last week, I believe it was, where uh, Zechariah said, Behold, your king comes to you riding upon a colt in the fold of an ass. And we saw how all of those uh, messianic prophecies were fulfilled in the first century. And I think sometimes when I've, when I've done a lot of research on this, a lot of people are We'll, we'll take points of this uh, 12 gates of Nehemiah, show the progression of salvation, and uh, uh, ultimately we'll try to connect it to somewhere off in the distant future. And although I believe it is relevant to every generation, I believe it found its fulfillment in the restoration of the city of God as being the new covenant city of God that you see in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, where he said, For you have come to Mount Zion, that's speaking of the new covenant, and you have come to the heavenly Jerusalem, and you've come to an innumerable company of angels. The context of Hebrews 12 there is that the city of God is not a place, it's a people. And we shared with you how that Galatians chapter 4 tells you that these two women are two covenants. And we talked about how that the Jerusalem, which now is, is Mount Sinai in Arabia, if you read it from the Amplified, Bible, it's Mount Sinai, it is, and it corresponds to the natural Jerusalem. 
But the Messianic kingdom of Christ, which is our mother, the new Jerusalem, is the new covenant people of God that's born by, and according to the promise, according to supernatural birth and not by natural genealogy. And so we've showed you all those things. Revelation 3 says, To him that overcomes, I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is the new Jerusalem, which comes down from God out of heaven. So with the removal of old Jerusalem, in A.D. 70 was the birthing of the New Jerusalem in uh, A.D. 70, and I believe that that city of God was built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being chief cornerstone. However, the Scripture declares in Revelation chapter 21, her gates will never be shut. There's always access to a lamb who's in the midst of a throne with a river flowing out of it in the book of Revelation. But today I don't want to do a whole lot of review because we have been uh, 40-some weeks in teaching this, and I'm trying not to be too exhaustive, but when I get to digging around in the Word, it's hard to just do this half-heartedly. I like to do it because people come back and reference this. But today I want to read to you from Nehemiah, the third chapter, verse number 29, because we're going to talk about the East Gate the east gate. And so in Nehemiah 3.29 it says, and, and after them repaired Zadok, the son of Immer, over against his house. And after him repaired also Shemaiah, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate. Now I want to show you that uh, this is also, this east gate is also mentioned in the book of Ezekiel, and we're going to make some comparisons with the book of Ezekiel today, uh, with the book of Revelation. But Ezekiel chapter 10 verses 18 through 22 says this, Then the glory of the Lord departed from off the threshold of the house and stood over the cherubims. And the cherubims lifted up their wings and mounted up from the earth in the sight, in, in my sight. And when they went out, the wheels also were beside them, and everyone stood at the door of the east gate. I want you to notice again, he's, he's talking about, this is one of the other places in the Scripture where the east gate is mentioned. And he said, and, they, uh, and every one of them stood at the door of the east gate of the Lord's house, and the glory of the God of Israel was over them above. This is the living creature that I saw under the God of Israel by the river of Kibar, and I knew that they were the cherubims. Everyone had four faces apiece. Everyone four wings, and the likeness of the hands of a, of a man was under their wings, and the likeness of their faces was the same faces which I saw by the river Kibar, and their appearance and themselves, they went everyone straight forward. Now, uh, if you remember right, when we were talking back some time ago uh, from the book of Ezekiel, in chapter no, number 1, Ezekiel was by the rivers of Babylon. Kibar was one of the tributaries of the rivers of Babylon. And some time ago we, uh, we shared a message uh, on the rivers of Babylon. By the rivers of Babylon we sat down. We wept when we remembered Zion. We hanged our harps on the willow trees. Uh, a day of the captivity required of us a song saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. And we talked about the rivers of Babylon and what river are you sitting beside of? If you are sitting beside the rivers of Babylon, see, when they were in Nehemiah and Ezra, they were carried away captive into Babylon as captives and slaves to Babylon. 
And uh, God was calling them, and through the uh, intermediate intervention of, of the Persian king, and Cyrus especially, of course Artaxerxes and several of these, Darius the Mede and the Medo-Persians, uh, they were in captivity throughout these uh, reigns of these kings, but especially Cyrus gave the decree and began to release Ezra and Nehemiah to go and to restore the temple and the city. And what we've been showing you is the parallels between that uh, Old Testament Reformation and how especially Zechariah connects that to the Reformation being led by none other than Jesus Christ Himself, because especially in Zechariah, he begins to connect the dots of this Reformation, and he starts out by saying there's a man whose name is called the Branch. He's going to come on the scene. We know that Jesus is the man whose name is called the Branch. And then he goes on to say that the cornerstone and the capstone would be laid with shouts of grace, grace to it. And we find that fulfillment in John chapter 1, where John says, uh, uh, Moses gave you the law, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ, and of His fullness have all we received in grace for grace. So the chief cornerstone is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and, and that capstone is laid, and the cornerstone and the capstone is laid with grace, grace. In other words, it is the gospel of grace from the start to the finish. And then he comes on down through there, and he gets even more specific messianic as he comes into Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. He said, Behold, your king comes to you riding upon an ass in the colt, the fold of an ass. And we talked about that last week at the horse gate. Jesus rode into town to fulfill Zechariah chapter 9 because he's leading the real Reformation. And in that same context of him coming into the city, on a, a colt, the full of an ass, he talks about cursing the fig tree and the mountain being removed. It is interesting to me that in Zechariah, he says, Who are you, great mountain that stands before Zerubbabel? You will be removed with shouts of grace, grace. And I shared with you how that, that mountain in the Gospels uh, where Jesus rides into town was not just any mountain in our lives, but it was really speaking of Mount Sinai. And it was talking about the removal of the Old Covenant. Matter of fact, I think that a, a great argument could be made uh, from Zechariah 14 that His feet will touch the Mount of Olives. Everything Jesus did in the final days of His ministry was at the Mount of Olives as He stood on the Mount of Olives and declared that there was coming a separation between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. And uh, that really to me is a uh, figurative language that He's using in the book of Zechariah, where he talks about the mountain will be split in two. I think that you could see uh, that that mountain that was removed in the Gospels where he comes riding upon a colt, the full of an ass, was Mount Sinai. It was the removal of the law, and I think that an argument could be made even as you go on into the book of Zechariah, and it says in Zechariah, they which pierced him will look upon him, and they will mourn for him as one who mourning for their only son. And then you see that connected to the book of Revelation chapter 1 that was written to seven churches that were in Asia in the first century, and it would be relevant to these seven churches. And he would say to them in Revelation chapter 1, they which pierced me will look upon me. 
And it talks about then that the city would be uh, rifled, the women would be ravished, and the city would be rifled and given into captivity. That happened in A.D. 70 under the reign of the Romans. And when that Mount, uh, when that old Jerusalem was removed off of the scene by the Romans in A.D. 70, a new Jerusalem came on the scene. I think that uh, you could see uh, that uh, not only did that new Jerusalem come on the scene, but a new community, uh, a new tabernacle, a new temple was built. And I think I've covered this in 40-something weeks. You have to go back and review some of this. But I think that you could see very possibly the fulfillment of those things that many people think are way out in the distant future. You say, what are you saying, Dr. House? I'm trying to tell you that uh, we need to start preaching a present reality of the kingdom of God and that Jesus is reigning right now and that He is presently, I think sometimes we talk about Him like He's not in the room. We preach about Him and we pray like we're going to invite Him to come when He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus is reigning right now. And I believe as we go on and picture these gates, uh, you know, of course there is uh, some discrepancy in what all happened in some of these gates, but nevertheless, they seem to overlap somewhat. Some seem to think that this east gate that we're talking about is a gate that Jesus would come through later uh, in His return, but the truth of it is Jesus already entered in through these gates and is now standing saying, I'm asking you to enter in to these gates, which are now wide open, and the Spirit and the bride are now saying, come. In other words, uh, I, I believe we're in a time, even as this season, what we're showing you is that while that was birthed in the first century, there is an ongoing reality of the city of God being the capital city where the king himself lives and resides. We're a city. The church of Jesus Christ is a city set on a hill that cannot be hid. In every generation, we are the temple of the living God. We are what gives the makes the omnipresent God have a local address. Paul the Apostle said, what do you not know? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now let me continue to show you as we compared these things. I showed you just a moment ago where he talked about this four-faced living creature was at the east gate of the temple. Now I want to show you uh, some striking resemblances here in, in, in uh, in the book of Ezekiel, uh, chapter number one, it says, The likeness of the four, this is verses 10 through and 11. It says, As for the likeness of their faces, they, had, they four had the face of a man and the face of a lion on the right side. They four had the face of an ox on the left side. They four also had the face of an eagle. Thus were their faces and their wings were stretched upward, two wings, every one were joined one to another, and, and, and two covered their bodies. And then you see in Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 26 and 28, it says, And above the firmament that was over their heads was the likeness of a throne, as the appearance of a sapphire stone, and, uh, 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 and upon the likeness of the throne was the likeness as the appearance of a man above it. And I saw as the color of amber, as the appearance of fire round about within from the appearance of his loins even upward, and from the appearance of his loins even downward, I saw as it were the appearance of fire, and it had brightness round about, and the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness round about. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell upon my face, and I heard a voice of one that spake. Now I want you to see that Ezekiel was declaring a four-faced living creature. 
He's declaring a throne with a rainbow about it, and one sitting on the throne like a sapphire stone, and uh, uh, the appearance of a man in the color of amber. Now, if you go, if we compare that to the book of Revelation, chapter number 4, it says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet, talking with me, and said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a sardine, like a jasper and a sardine, and there was a rainbow round about the throne. In other words, it's a description of the same vision or the same place that Ezekiel saw. And then there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment. And they had on their heads crowns of gold, and out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal, and in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, the second beast like a calf, the third beast had the face of a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. Now, let me just tell you that if this is, a, to me, a powerful, striking resemblance of what you see in the book of Ezekiel. What it's showing you is the entrance into the throne room. Here's the thing that I think is so powerful. I know these are deep concepts for many of you if you haven't been following my teaching. But this door that was opened into this throne room is, is really a powerful picture of the transition of the church as they begin to move into the new covenant reality and into the kingdom of God. Now that's not something that's out in the future somewhere. As a matter of fact, the third chapter, I mean, yeah, the third chapter of Revelation, the church at Laodicea, he says to them, I want you to either be hot or cold. So if you're lukewarm, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Because you say I'm rich and increased in goods and don't have need of anything, but knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, and blind, and naked, I counsel thee to buy me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, and that the shame of your nakedness does not appear, and to anoint your uh, eyes with eyesalve. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. To him that overcomes, I will grant him, I, I will come into him, and will, he said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man will hear my voice and open to me, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcomes, I will grant him to sit with me in my throne, even as I'm overcome and I'm sit down with my father in his throne. That's quoting the whole latter part of the church of Laodicea. When I think about being cold or hot, I'm thinking in terms of I'd rather you were old covenant or new covenant. I could say it another way. I would that you were outer court or most holy place. But if you're stuck in the middle and you're a mixture of both, see, Laodicea was a place that had both hot springs and cold springs. And uh, what he was saying is that you can't mix the two of them together. I would that you were hot or cold. I say it like this. I wished you were either under the law or under the new covenant. And as he begins to invite them, uh, he begins to say, I'm standing at a door knocking. And if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him. The key word there is sup. Because when I, I think of I will sup with you, I think of the covenant meal that the night before his decease, 
Jesus was going to have the final uh, Passover meal with them. He was going to sup with them. And when he took that sop and he took that meal, he said, with great desire, have I desired to eat this Passover with you because he knows that this will be the last woolly lamb they will ever have to kill. And that tomorrow they would sacrifice Jesus before the weekend would be over, that he would be crucified as the ultimate Lamb of God. And so to me, when I think about him saying, I will, he's inviting them, the church at Laodicea, he is inviting them to sup with him. He's inviting them to the great supper. He's inviting them to the covenant meal. He's inviting them to, to the communion table because what that table speaks of is the inauguration of the new covenant. When he said, I, uh, you know, I will come into him and will sup with him the night before again his decease, he took the cup. He said, This is my blood of the new covenant. And drink it as often as you come together. This is my body, which is broken for you. It was the inauguration of the new covenant and the entrance. Out, or, or the, if you will, the exit out of the old covenant and the entrance into the kingdom. I think it's incredible that all through the scriptures there is an exodus motif. The paradigm is all through the scripture of an exodus, especially the New Testament. And I, I, I probably should not go back and review this, but I'm going to anyway. But even on the Mount of Transfiguration, when Moses and Elijah spoke to Jesus, they spoke to him, Moses spoke to Jesus concerning his decease. The word decease there is the Greek word exodus. So what he's doing is Moses is saying, I brought them out of a physical bondage, but Jesus is the leader of the true exodus and he's going to bring them out of a spiritual bondage. And I showed you before how that in Revelation, the 11th chapter, it said, concerning the two witnesses that I speak, I think speak of Moses and Elijah, the old covenant, he said, their, their bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Our Lord was not crucified in Sodom or Egypt. Our Lord was crucified in Jerusalem. But the Holy Spirit is taking his finger and he's saying that the Jerusalem that you think is, is the Jerusalem is actually Egypt. It's the centerpiece of Judaism. It's Old Covenant Jerusalem. Old Covenant Jerusalem, according to Galatians 4, is Mount Sinai in Arabia and is in bondage with her children to this day. The natural genealogy. Go read it again. I've read it so many times in teaching this. But this exodus is out of a religious bondage. It's out of the Old Covenant and into the New Covenant. And when he invites them to this covenant meal, He's saying to them, if you will open the door, I'll come in and we'll eat the covenant meal with you. I don't think it's an accident that just like you see the children of Israel delivered at Passover from the bondage of Egypt in the Old Testament, the night that Jesus gave them the communion meal was the Passover meal. It was symbolizing another exodus is at hand. It is not an accident that exactly 50 days later, in the book of Exodus, that they're at the foot of Mount Sinai, and they come to where God gives them the law 50 days after the Passover. In the New Testament, 50 days after Jesus, the true Passover is sacrificed. It's the Feast of Pentecost. We just celebrated a few weeks ago uh, the Feast of Pentecost, and it was because that was the beginning and the birthing of the church. 
It was the gathering of the church out of the wilderness, and as they begin their wilderness journey into the promised land, there was another exodus. It's not an accident that when Jesus was feeding the multitudes that they, in John chapter 5, they had just left the feast of Passover. They just crossed a sea, the Sea of Tiberias. They're in a wilderness, and the multitude needs to be fed. And Jesus said to them, you feed them. For he himself knew what he would do, because this is not the first time that he ever left a Passover, crossed the sea, and fed a multitude in the wilderness. John 5, the picture of Jesus feeding the 5,000, is a repeat picture of the Exodus under Moses. And it was in that setting that they said, what sign do you show us that you are in fact the Messiah? And Jesus said to them in John chapter 5, right after crossing the sea, right after the Passover, right after feeding the 5,000, a multitude of wilderness, he said, this he quotes him, he said, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they're dead. But I am the true bread that came down from heaven. And so the sign that he gave them was the fact that you thought that was the bread. In my new book, The Great I Am, I have a whole chapter dedicated to that. He's saying to them, you thought that was the bread. That's not the bread. I'm the true bread. And so he's leading them in another exodus. So the reality of it is, is he's eating the covenant meal in Revelation chapter 4 to inaugurate, because when you come out of Egypt, then what replaces that is the kingdom of God. In other words, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy. It's located in the Holy Ghost. And on the day of Pentecost, God gave them the Holy Ghost and inaugurated the kingdom. And so you see the continuation of this as you see them leaving, uh, in, in, uh, not leaving, but in Revelation, the third chapter, he said, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, open to me. I will come in to him who will sup with him, he with me. To him that overcomes, I'll grant him to sit with me in my throne, even as I'm overcome and I'll sit down with my father. So there's two key words there, door and throne. And then chapter four opens and says, after this, I saw a door open. It's the same door he was knocking on in the chapter above. And the same throne he was inviting you to sit on is in chapter 4. And then he starts to describe this one seated on the throne, which is an exact replica of what we just read in Ezekiel with a four-faced living creature seated with him in the throne at the eastern gate. So he's inviting them into another dimension. He's inviting them into the kingdom. He's inviting them into the most holy place. He's inviting them into uh, the glory and where the cherubims outstretch their wings, and there's one seated on the throne. That's the inauguration into the eastern gate. And we're going to talk about this some more as we continue this series uh, on the book of uh, on, on the eastern gate. But I want you to see that he compares Ezekiel 10 with the gate east, with this fourth chapter of Revelation, where there are four faces of the living creature. It is an invitation to sit with him in his throne. Well, I'm about to run out of time. We've just almost got this introduced. We're about to run out of time. But if you'd like to help us to stay on the air, please take a moment to call the number on the screen or to go to our website. is the easiest way where you can give via credit card or PayPal, or you can write a check and money order and send it to the address that will come up on the screen. If you call the number and no one takes your call, please leave a message. We will call you back. We do need your help. It does cost to take the gospel around the world. So we thank you for that. God bless you for joining us this week. 
I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.